Good morning, Hope Church. Welcome back for our third part of our series on the book of Ruth. We're going to be looking at chapter three today, but we'll just do a very quick recap just before we dive in. So we've had um, a family who have faced a, a ton of tragedy and suffering. And the last remaining members, Naomi and Ruth, have returned from the country of Moab to Israel. Now, Naomi was originally from Israel and emigrated, um, and she's come back. Ruth was um, born in Moab and married Naomi's son, who has sadly died. So she's actually come back with her mother-in-law and, in a sense, emigrated herself to Israel. Now, they're poor. They don't have husbands. They don't have uh, children. They're two women alone. And Ruth's working in the fields, basically scavenging for food to just try and eke out an existence. She meets a man called Boaz, who's a good man. He owns the field, so he's got a bit of money. And he seems to take a shine to her um, and just make sure she doesn't only just get enough, but she gets good, decent food. Now, Naomi actually knows of Boaz. He's a relative or a kinsman, another another word, of Naomi's dead husband. And Boaz has sent Ruth home to Naomi with a large amount of food. Naomi's totally blown away by this. And this is where we were picking up the story. So we're looking at Ruth 3 and the first verse. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But don't make yourself known to Boaz until he's finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Go, uncover his feet and lie down and he'll tell you what to do. And Ruth replied, all that you say, I will do. So Ruth went to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. So Naomi's basically hatching a plan to marry Ruth off to Boaz. And she tells Ruth to go and see him. Now she understands Boaz is a relative and that he's actually got responsibilities to them. Now Boaz is working late and he's winnowing barley, which is actually the last job of the harvest. It's the end of the season. Now, when you're winnowing barley, what it means is that you're picking up the crop and you're throwing it up into the air and the wind blows away all the light grass and leaves and all the stuff that is inedible. But the grain, the, the, the bits you actually are interested in, they're heavier and they just fall down. And so what he's doing is just chucking stuff up in the air, letting the good stuff fall down and then gathering it into a big pile. All the crops they've harvested through the season, that's what he would be doing. So that all the, you know, in effect, the, the chaff, the dross is gone and they've got the good stuff. Now, when we look at this story, obviously, we, we'll, we'll have Western eyes and, and there's some things about it which we would kind of maybe interpret differently because of where we're from. Um, now, the interfering mother-in-law might be something that pops in and it feels a bit weird. You know, she's kind of hatching this kind of devious plan and making it all a bit weird. But actually, in, in the culture, it, it's actually not the same it's more appropriate in in that kind of ancient near east culture arranged marriages weren't unusual and parents would be often the ones who arranged marriages so actually this isn't as weird as maybe it would be in, in our understanding and context and with some of the things in this chapter we have to understand that we, we got to look at it with a different lens than maybe we would so to fully understand what's actually happening now the advice she gives ruth could be again interpreted as being a bit cheeky or a bit sort of weird um, you know, 
wear your nice clothes, make yourself look good, make yourself smell good and go and see him late at night. It's a bit like, really? But what? it's not actually inappropriate. She's telling Ruth, who isn't Jewish, how to basically play the game and navigate the culture. What she's basically saying is, rather than wait for Boaz, Ruth, let's let Boaz know that you are there. So Ruth makes herself look nice, smells nice, goes to see Boaz. And it's interesting. He's finished his work. He's finished eating. He's not going to be distracted. He's not going to be thinking about the work or responsibilities that still need to be done. He's not going to have, you know, an empty stomach and just be, one. Well, I just need food. Um, you know, maybe men, we get a bit one-track mind when we're hungry. Um, she off, off she goes. Now, Ruth is stepping out in faith here because she might be rejected. She might be disappointed. She might be misunderstood or have her motives questioned. It could ruin the reputation that she's got, which is a good one, as we've seen in the previous chapter. Her faith leads her to act. Now, faith often has an element of risk attached to it. Because when we kind of step out and do some things in faith, it actually means we're no longer in control and we're looking for God to come through. But Ruth was actually still working with the parameters of scripture. She was still working within the framework of what God had said was right. She was being wise. So recklessness isn't actually necessarily faith. Just because there's lots of noise and then there's action, it doesn't mean it's faith. We definitely need to act in faith, but we also need to think in faith. And that's what I think here is happening with Ruth. The way of faith is definitely not playing it safe but it's still playing it wisely. And it's also interesting here that, you know, it's the end of the harvest season. Whenever there's a change of season presented to us, we may need to actually take an unusual step of faith into it. So today, a question I want to ask is, are there any steps of faith that God is putting before you? Now we have verse seven, and we pick that up. Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, and he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And Ruth came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Now, at midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And Ruth answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And Boaz said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, don't fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know you are a worthy woman. So Boaz is eaten, he's drunk, he's happy, and he falls asleep on the grain. Why didn't he go home? Now, some people would say it's because he's drunk, he's eaten, he's drunk, he's merry. He must have, you know, a little bit half cut and that's it. He falls asleep. But I don't think that's what's going on. Now, it's the end of the harvest and all this grain that he's gathered that he's winnowed is the result of his work. It's the grain that he's going to sell. And what he's doing is actually sleeping on it to guard it against being stolen. He doesn't want to disappear, have people take it. I'm sure there would have been people at that time of year roaming around trying to steal some things. And he's like, no, no, I'll sleep here. I'm protecting my work. Ruth comes, uncovers his feet and lies down there. Now, again, to us, we're like, that's a little bit weird. What's happening here? And understandably, Boaz wakes up and he's like, whoa, you know, someone's here sleeping. Someone's watching me sleep. That's weird, no matter what culture you're in, watching someone sleep. But 
Ruth identifies herself and then she says, spread your wings over me. Now, bit of a weird phrase. And some people actually suggest that Ruth is, is seducing Boaz. But I don't think that's what's actually going on here. The Hebrew word for wings here, spread your wings, also means the corner of a garment. Spread your garment, spread your cloak over me. And what it is, it's a visual image of, of being protected, being covered. It's like saying, I want to be under your arm. Like when you put your arm around someone to the side, it's a, it's a, a reassuring thing. It's a protecting thing. Like when one of my kids hurts themselves, they want to hug. It's like, come and you know, spread your, your kind of self over and be covered and protected. That's what's happening. And she calls him a redeemer. She's basically appealing to the Jewish law. And she's speaking a language to Boaz that makes it clear what it is she's actually saying to him. Now, this whole thing of redeemer, and it'll be a word that we, we are familiar with and we've, we understand a sense, but there's a little bit more depth to it in their culture than maybe there is in our culture. Because here, you know, we redeem gift vouchers or, you know, things like that. But there's a lot more to it. What she's talking about is actually a type of Old Testament marriage. Um, in Deuteronomy 25, God, when he's giving the law, he tells his people that if someone is widowed and left without children, an unmarried male relative, a kinsman of the deceased, is actually responsible for marrying the widow and giving her children. And the firstborn son from that marriage would be named after the dead man so that it's actually his heir inheriting all that he as a family would have and preserving the family line. So in effect, what you'd be doing is raising a child, but it wouldn't have your name. It would have the name of the, the former husband on it. Um, it's, it's about legacy because to that culture, legacy was massive. It was huge. Um, and actually, if you were kind of in effect, now didn't have children, it, it would be interpreted by many people that you've offended the gods. Um, and that's why you can think about the story of Abraham not having children and why it's incredible. God promises descendants are innumerable. Um, so there's a lot more kind of culturally into it. Um, now, Ruth's former husband, Marlon, doesn't have any surviving brothers to marry. Um, but his father, Ruth's father-in-law, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, has got other relatives alive because he's originally from Bethlehem where they are. And Boaz is one of these. So Boaz, by saying and agreeing to marry Ruth, would fulfill his role. Now, Ruth, she's from Moab. She's not Hebrew. She's not Jewish. So she's appealing to Boaz's character. Now, it's interesting Boaz's response to this. He's really surprised and he's really grateful that she's done this. And she's, you know, it's interesting. He says, you didn't go after younger men. It makes you think that maybe he's actually quite a bit older than her. Maybe that's why he didn't initiate or pursue things because he was like, she's too young for me. She's out of my league. You know, so that's why he was taking almost more paternal kind of protecting, caring kind of role. But this is a wake up call to him because all of a sudden Boaz realizes I'm not a spring chicken. There's an attractive woman here. And she's letting me know she's interested in me. I'm actually a candidate. I need to do something like this. And so he's like, yep, I'll do it. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll get on it. And it, yeah, he's motivated. He's all of a sudden got energy. It doesn't matter how much he's had to eat, drink or sleep. He's awoken from his slumber. Yes, I'm going to move. And Ruth has made that happen by lawfully letting Boaz know that she's there. Now, Ruth and Boaz is an interesting dynamic because also what happens here is Boaz 
he comments on her reputation in the town, which is, you know, again, he says, you've got a good reputation amongst the town folk. If she was trying to seduce him or do something inappropriate, I don't think he would be saying that. And actually, in a funny way, this reputation that she has is something which convinces him that she would be a, a great wife for him. Now, don't forget, she's a Gentile, and actually the Jews weren't supposed to marry Gentiles. So she's not a marriageable candidate. But there's more going on here where it's like her reputation has um, actually unlocked an opportunity for her that really in the natural shouldn't be there. Reputations do matter. Now, maybe our reputation can and will and has unlocked opportunities for us. Maybe our reputations has closed doors to us. But what we saw through Ruth's conduct in earlier chapters, God seems to steward reputations. And it's like God will steward our reputation as we steward who and what he has put in front of us. So here's a question. Who or what has God put before you to steward, manage, care for and invest? Because maybe if we're faithful with the smaller things, he'll start to give us larger things. So let's pick up verse 12. Now, Boaz says, it's true that I, Boaz, am a redeemer, but there is a redeemer nearer than I. Stay tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Now lie down until the morning. So Ruth lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And Boaz said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. So there's a spanner in the works. There's another man closer in line, closer as a family relative to Elimelech, who actually could redeem. And so Baez is saying that if this man says no to redeeming, which would mean if this man decides to ignore or forsake his family and legal responsibilities, he will step up. He will redeem Ruth. And Ruth stays with Boaz overnight, but she leaves whilst it's still dark. Now, again, how we would see and perceive this, this isn't a walk of shame. This isn't like we've done bad things and we're trying to sneak off so no one sees and discovers. Nothing inappropriate has happened. But maybe to others, it would be perceived that way. If all of a sudden it's like, whoa, guess who? Boaz went in alone and he came out with Ruth. What's happened there? Perceptions do matter. And it's interesting that there's actually an attitude a little bit around in um, society. And you hear people say, I don't care what other people think. Um, and it's used to kind of justify doing all sorts of different things. And, and like many of these things, it's a nuanced thing. It's not like that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's actually kind of funnily both wisdom to think like that and foolishness to think like that. Because there's a sense where we, we shouldn't care what other people think in, in a sense of having a fear of man or a fear of what people think in the way that boxes us in or stops us from doing the right thing or what God asks us to do. But there's also a sense where it can become a rebellious thing or a, a thing of defiance as such. But definitely we are wise when we consider how actions or conduct or decisions could be perceived and i'm not talking about we don't do something because of how people would perceive it i'm saying that we are aware of it and we consider that as we consider what we're going to do and how we're going to do something now sometimes people don't respond to something that we've done maybe they respond to what they think we've done and there's sometimes a lot of offense and, and, and relational kind of tensions as this it's not about the act it's what they think the act is or or more behind it 
sometimes it is the act, but it can be about perception as much as it is about actuality. Babos and Ruth didn't do anything wrong here, but they understand it could be seen that way. So they're wise in how they acted. Now, some people could be like saying, oh, that's just hiding. It's being deceitful. You know, if they didn't do anything wrong, then why would they try and cover it up? But actually, we know the heart of Boaz. We know the heart of Ruth. We know that these are two righteous people doing things the right way. And if these people, say, knew the heart of Boaz and knew the heart of Ruth, they would understand that actually what they're doing is they're doing things righteously and just having to be smart about how they do it so that it doesn't, you know, kind of get detracted or distracted from. And it's a key thing for us, I think, here, that when we know the heart of people, that actually changes how we perceive them. Someone once said that intimacy is into me, you see. When we have genuine intimacy with someone and we see their heart and what they're really going on, it actually helps us understand and see, paint the picture of some things that maybe, oh, it looks like this, but it's not. This is what's happening. We judge ourselves by our heart, but we judge others by how we perceive their actions. So here's a question. Have you made a judgment about someone, about something someone's done or said, without taking the time to know the full picture, without taking the time to know their heart or what's going on? Now, verse 15, Boaz said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So Ruth held it and he measured out six measures of barley and he put it on her. And she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, Naomi said, how did you fare, my daughter? And then Ruth told her all that Boaz had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you mustn't go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Naomi replied, saying, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For Boaz will not rest and he will settle the matter today. So Boaz gives Ruth a ton of food, so much that she has to wrap her clothing around it and make it like a, a makeshift sack or bag to carry it. It's like almost like Ruth is making a pledge to say, look, I'm your redeemer. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to do this for you. Now, do you remember I, we talked about it in the earlier chapters? Boaz is a picture of Jesus. And so as Boaz is to Ruth, Christ is to us. Jesus is our redeemer. He has taken us under his wing. He's spread his garment over us and he's going to care for us. He's going to provide for us. He's going to protect us. No matter the circumstance or the situation, he is faithful and dependable and he's going to care and look after us. Now, Ruth goes back to Naomi with the food and basically Naomi's like, give me the gossip. What happened? Tell me, tell me, tell me. Now, in Hebrew, actually, the question reads more like, who are you, my daughter? which seems a bit of a weird thing to say, but it's not because Naomi's forgotten. What she's basically saying is, who are you? What happened? Are you still Ruth, the widow, the Moabites, or are you now the prospective Mrs. Boaz? What happened? Redemption has given Ruth a new identity. Because of who she was redeemed by, who she was going to connect it to, it was like she was a new person. And redemption for us has changed our name as well we have a new identity we're no longer disconnected orphans alone but we're absorbed and welcomed and accepted into the family of god we have a father and we have a brother an older brother in, in jesus and we have brothers and sisters in the, the church the people the family of god and that's what redemption has done for us now naomi tells ruth you just need to wait now for boaz you need to be patient sometimes there's just a wisdom in waiting in life. 
maybe that's why patience is a fruit of the spirit. As you wonder if that's true, is it possible that sometimes we actually can spoil something God is doing because we try to kind of help it along or speed it up or, or we try and make it happen. Uh, uh, now, some of the activists amongst us would be like, well, that's faith. You know, we, we, that's you know, faith without works is dead. And they quote the Bible, which is really good, you know. And so, you know, we're just acting in faith or they'll say again, um, we're, we're advancing the kingdom through, through force, you know, whatever. But actually, sometimes I wonder if we create an Ishmael instead of waiting for an Isaac. We try and make something happen like Abraham and Sarah tried to and had an Ishmael, where actually God wants to give a promise and to fulfill it in his way, his time, which will be better. And in the Spirit's working, in the things of the Spirit, some things just need to be allowed to run their course. Now that could be waiting for opportunities, waiting for recognition, waiting for a season change or shift, waiting for promotion, waiting for breakthrough. And there's a verse in Psalms which says, be still and know that I'm God. Basically, stop and let me show you what I can do. We have a redeemer, which means we can rest. We don't have to strive and make things happen. God works on our behalf for our behalf. So sometimes faith actually looks like waiting so my final question is there any area you need to step back from take your hands off it stop trying to control or influence and just let god do what only he can do so i want to do a quick summary it's obvious that ruth did act but she acted in wisdom she was wisely and it was an act of faith it wasn't drivenness she was adhering to the scriptures she knew what god had said Ruth's reputation had opened up an opportunity for her that in the natural shouldn't have actually existed. Ruth and Boaz were wise in how they navigated perceptions. They were righteous, um, but they were aware of how things could be perceived. But Ruth had to trust Boaz and God. And that trusting, that faith looked like waiting. Jesus, I want to thank you that you are our redeemer. I thank you that because you're our redeemer, we have promises and assurance that you paid the price for us. And now it's not that you pay the price, then leave it, but you've invested in us. So you want to protect us and care for us and provide for us because of who you are. That's your heart. I thank you. We have a new name, we have a new identity. We're not the same as before. We're not the old person. The old is gone. The new has come. We're a new creation. And we're in a family. We're in a family of God with a father, with an older brother, and with brothers and sisters in the church around us. And God, I want to thank you that, Lord, we can be secure when things don't look normal. We don't know what's happening. That actually, we don't have to, out of fear, move and act and try and make things happen and call it faith. But actually, we can wait, we can rest, we can trust, and we can take our hands off the steering wheel because, God, you are in control and you have good things and, and promises to bless us and prosper us. So, Father, I pray, bless us this week. Help us hear you and what you've got for us this week. Have our eyes open, eyes to see, ears to hear. And, Father, we thank you for your ongoing goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.